Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. How are you today, my friend? I am doing fantastic. I just learned something about myself or maybe really noticed it at a deeper level. But here's the thing, like there are times that when I love something, I really, really, really love it. And I get worried about being considered, oh, well, look at her. She really likes this or whatever. And so I play small instead of just really owning that this is something that I love and it's so amazing and I want to share it with you all. And so a couple of things, or there's three things that I want to share with you that I just love, 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 love. It's like my thing right now. And it may not be my thing in a week or month or in a year, but it's my thing right now. And I just can't stop talking about it. And I've been sharing it with everybody, with my clients, with my nephews that were just in town. And I want to share it with you. And instead of like trying to play cool and not share it because, oh, well, you know, I don't really care too much. And that's a bit of armor is really own that I love it. And it may be for you and you may be, oh my gosh, or it may not be. I do know that I've sold a lot of books this week because I've talked about this book. I've had so many people go out and get this book and I bought some more to give as gifts. So the first thing is there's this book called The Book of Joy. I've known about this book for a long time. And then it came back into my life in the fall, like I think September, because the University of UC Davis does a community book for the year. It's to create community around a book. And I love that idea. I love books. And I know when my husband teaches his freshman seminar, he may reference it a bit. It's probably like what I've been doing all along. I've been talking about it with my clients. I'm now talking about it here. I just talk about the book of joy. But anyways, I wasn't until just this past couple weeks, because they had the author, Doug Abrams. He was basically the ghostwriter for this book. And the two people in the book are the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Tutu. And they spent a week together and then a book came out of it. And I guess a documentary is going to come out. I'm so, so excited to watch that because I saw clips and it's hilarious. They're just the Dalai Lama and the Archbishop Tutu. They remind me of like little six-year-old or eight-year-old boys. You know, they hold each other's hands. They're touching each other. They're laughing. And it gives so much permission in our world. I mean, here's something to think about. And I used this last weekend when my nephews were in town for our retreat was this idea of friends and what makes a friend. And we have these rules of, oh, I can only consider you a good friend or my best friend if you also will validate that for me, or that maybe we have weekly coffee every week, or we have to see each other so many times. Well, both of these men are over 80 years old they've only spent less than half a dozen times, about six or seven times throughout their lives together. And they consider each other dear, dear friends, very, very good friends. And that is like a freedom of these rules that we have about what does a friend look like? Or, and I think about, I've got some friends that live all over the country and I think about them often, but maybe because of time differences and because of what we've got going on, we're not reaching out to each other. I still love them dearly. But the story that I can make up in my head is, oh, well, I guess I've been dropped by this friend because we haven't 
connected. But man, when we go on a trip, when we connect, we really connect, but it doesn't, it's not an everyday frequent thing. And there's not an ease. Like when I used to go and do pickup for my daughters when they're in school and I would see friends and some of them were friends that were real friends that we would do stuff with. And some of them were people that I would have conversations with that pick up and I would enjoy those conversations, but it's never gone further from there. So that book of joy right there, there was like this, oh, here's permission. And back in the olden days, when I, my show intro used to talk about how this show is about the windows of possibility and being able to hear somebody's story and journey and experience and look at it, not from a place of compare and despair, which we do so greatly in our lives, but from a place of, wow, this is possible for them. What's possible for me? And just that piece about the friendship was like, oh yeah, I can have some of these silly rules that aren't really my rules. They've been culturally programmed maybe by the television show friends of, oh, we see each other every day. We walk into each other's apartments. We're always there, but that's not reflective of my life now, especially with the family and especially with where my children are in their life. So I just love, love, love this book. And there's so many things I love about it. And there's things that I don't all agree. And so that's where I feel like I'm really adulting in my life that I don't have to take this book and this, you know, the expertise of these two men or the three men that are involved and say, oh, this is the truth because they're things that I disagree with. And here's the beauty in that. There's even more permission because the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Tutu have differences of opinions as well. And it doesn't mean one is right or one is wrong. And I love that, right? It makes us have a discussion and it makes us think about what do we believe? How do you want to live? So I love, love the book of joy and how it happened was, so it's been around since September. Here it is, February of 2019. And I've known about it. People have talked about it. I've seen it. My husband's loved the book. He's told me about how great it is. And isn't it funny with the people that we love, sometimes we can discount what they have to offer. And I'm in my own busyness. There's books that I want to read. There's stuff that I'm doing head down and I kind of see it. And here's the other thing I know about myself. I'm not an early adopter right? Even though I've always loved Apple products, I wasn't a person who bought the first iPhone. I waited until I think iPhone three before I got one, I was still using a Blackberry. So I know I'm not an early adopter and it's sometimes because of my own busyness. And one of the things that I know is that sometimes a book has to come around about six times and then all of a sudden I get hooked and I fall deeply in love with it. And maybe that's also part of like why I need some time to, before I fall deeply in love with it, because when I do, I go deep and I love it and I become obsessed about it. I really become obsessed about it like I am right now with this book in talking about in the intro of a show that I'm going to talk about courageous conversations. But so what happened was my husband loved the book. He got his team, his woman swim team, the book, and they were having supposed to be reading over Christmas break. I've been aware of it. It's been kind of a side conversation. I never once thought, oh, Corinne, go read the book. I wasn't interested. And then here's the catalyst. My daughter, who's a college freshman, sent me a text. She mentioned to me that the Dalai Lama was coming. And I was like, really? But really what happened was Doug Abrams, the author was coming to town because when they do a community book at the university, they eventually invite the author to come and be a speaker. And I've done that before with the book Kite Runner. That was another community book. And so she said that, and then she texted me and, and the day before goes, oh, he's coming tomorrow to the Mandavi. And so I said, well, do you want to go? And anytime I can have an opportunity to spend time with her, 
I will seize that. And of course she, you know, she wanted to go and was so happy for me to pay. And I was willing to do that. And so we went and he just did such a great job of talking about the book and about this story that I became so excited. And yes, I got in line and I asked a question because that's what I do at those things. I'm really good at asking questions, whether it's here on the show or, or in an event like that. But after that lecture, I loved it. And then I just came home and I started reading it and all I can do is keep talking about it. When I see people, I just saw a friend last week, we had coffee and I told him, I go, oh my gosh, the book of joy. It's a great book. And he has a rule that when somebody recommends a book, he reads it. Luckily, he's a voracious reader, very fast, unlike me, and he can get it done. So on Monday night, he texted me and said he had started it. But all I can do is talk about this book. So the book of joy, there's so many beautiful lessons. And when you think about, and it's aligned with what we talk about here, and I don't think about podcasts and books, you know, television shows, like what do you want to surround yourself with? I can either surround myself with all the negative stuff and all the, you know, the gut-wrenching stuff, or I can surround myself with things that support me and what I believe. And the book of joy is one of those things. The, the stuff that I put into my brain, I want it to support the world that I want to see. And one of the things that the book of joy actually talks about is how does one person have joy when there's so much pain and suffering in this world? And I love that question. And I love how they go into that in there. So if you're looking for a great read, the book of joy is fantastic. I highly, highly, highly recommend it. It's one of my favorite thing. Now, the next thing is I have loved this video since 2012. And again, I just learned this weekend about myself. I realized that again, being busy, achieving, getting stuff done, I did not allow myself to enjoy certain aspects of life. And one of those is music. It was like, oh, I'm a really busy person. I don't have time for that. You may have heard Brene Brown say, you know, I'm a busy person. I don't have time for art. I have a J-O-B. Well, my thing was, I'm a really busy person. I'll eventually get to music, but I don't have time for that. Well, I just never created the time. I never made it a priority. So there's this gentleman, I don't, I don't know if people would call him a gentleman, but Bruce Springsteen, the boss. And I've been to several of his concerts because my husband loves him and I would go along to spend time with him. And I would get fascinated with him about how he put on a show and, and watch that, but I wasn't as interested. So for me, sometimes I think I almost need to have the connection before I go and do that deep dive, right? Doug Abrams comes into town. I listen to the story. Now I'm obsessed. I go to some Bruce Springsteen concerts. So, you know, I know like born in the USA and a few of his other songs like glory days, but I don't really know his music. And then I become obsessed because I remember, I think one of the first concerts that I went of Springsteen's, I was fascinated. Like here's this man and my concert was almost three and a half hours long. And then he's running around picking people up. I'm like, that guy isn't, he's a badass. He's in amazing shape. And then finding out who he is. And I was more interested in his story. I love people's stories. I know big surprise, right? Doing what I do. I love people's stories. It's not that I have to find a way to get interested in, but at some point there's a catalyst that ignites me where I get interested. And then I want to find out their stories. So it's the book of joy or Bruce Springsteen. So the thing about Bruce is that in 2012, he did this keynote speech at South by Southwest. I will have the link in the show notes. Highly, highly, highly recommend watching this thing. I've been watching it since 2012. Sometimes he becomes, Bruce doesn't know it, but he was my co-facilitator this past weekend when the Neffers were here. 
There's so many great messages. And again, I'm not a musician, but one of the things that I know with coaching my clients, with doing the work that I do is that we may have different titles. We may have different arenas. It's all the same stuff, people. That's why I can coach so many different people because we can all not feel enough in our different arenas. And so he talks about, you know, his journey of being a musician and what the things that he did. And there's so many great lessons in there. And I've watched it some more. I was watching and I was getting myself ready for my group. I took out clips and I showed at the group and there were things in there that I didn't even notice before. And this goes into another little side topic was about often where we get into this learner mode. If I got to learn, I've got to learn, I've got to consume, but there may be a time in that you may not be able to understand something. So your brain may be a full of capacity and you may skip over that. And that's always why it's good to circle back and review reading books, listening to podcasts, you know, watching talks, going back and hearing something because you can take it to a deeper level. And that's what I've done with this talk because 2012, seven years ago, when I watched it, the thing I took away was, you know, believe you're the baddest ass in town and that you suck. And my clients do not like to suck. They are overachievers. They've worked really hard. They don't like to suck. And I've been able to take that to a deeper level of like, we all suck. There's parts of us. And you've heard me say this on the show. We have strengths and we have flaws. We are not meant to be perfect people. So there was that aspect of it that I've been able to take even to a deeper level, you know, by watching it again and really understanding, embracing that we suck. And then I think it was in the book of joy, they were talking about that. Maybe it was something else. I can't remember. There's so much of that content in my brain right now. And you know how he looked like I talk about the windows of inspiration, not to compare and despair with the show, but how he looked. And he said, as starting out as a young musician, He goes, well, that guy's ugly and he's in rock and roll star. So why not me? And being able to ask ourselves that question of why not me instead of why isn't this happening for me, which is a really crappy question. So there's so many golden gems. I'm going to have the link in the show notes. It's so well worth a watch and rewatch it and take what you can. And you're going to get the information that you need at this time and then go back to it. That's the beauty of the internet. Growing up, if you missed the television show, that's it. It was gone forever. The beauty now is that we can always circle back to it. And again, with books or with podcasts, with videos that we want to watch, we can circle back to it and we can take things to a deeper level. Okay. So those are the things that I love. The Book of Joy, Bruce Springsteen, South by Southwest Talk. The link's going to be in the show notes. Same with the Book of Joy. And then my enoughers. I'm going to be having a group, another group starting in May. And so I'm going to be opening up registration in a bit later this spring. But oh my gosh, connection is so awesome and belonging. And speaking of belonging, we have a community here, right? The How She Really Does It community. And I want to do a shout out to... The name is I want a do over and I want a do over posted. I recently found Corinne and love her. Oh my gosh. I love you back. A great mix of her sharing her own journey of changing her self-limiting beliefs and sharing really practical tools for getting out of your own way. Like a close, honest friend who tells you what you need to hear, not necessarily what you want to hear. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for leaving an iTunes review. If you haven't done it, go leave your review. I know some people have been putting the five stars. Thank you, but I can't give you a shout out. I want to know your story. You do matter to me. And I like hearing people's stories. And then it's fun later when on 
when people, I get to connect with them in different ways, either when I'm traveling or I run into somebody and then I'm like, oh my gosh, you're that person. So I'm really good at remembering people's stories. I'm not so great at remembering their names. I'm a story collector. That's what I do. And I want to talk about this of, you know, on the show, yes, I have self-limiting beliefs. We all do, right? I'm not sitting here saying I'm a perfect person. I'm saying I've had my struggles and I've overcome them. And then I share them with you, or I share stories about what my clients have overcome, or I share stories of my guests and what they've overcome. And I want like, okay, this is what we can do because I'm a coach. We have to implement, right? It's not just learning information. How do we integrate it in our life? Here's the thing that's really important about friends, because we're going to talk about having courageous conversations today. In friends, we may not have an agreement that I can tell you the honest truth. We may say, oh, honesty, but there may be an expectation that no, you are only allowed to tell me what I want you to tell me. You only can be nice because that's what a good friend does. Like we have all these real weird rules, just like I was talking about my other weird rules about not celebrating what I really love. So we can have these weird rules, but we can have them and they can get in the way. And sometimes our friends may not feel comfortable with saying, Hey, this is what I really think. Or are you really being aligned with your own values or what you say? So that's where I come in as a coach is that I do give feedback and I'm willing to allow my clients to be uncomfortable because I believe that there's beauty in the mass. I believe that we grow so much through struggle and It's not like I sit there and say, oh, yippee skippy, this is so fantastic when I'm in the struggle, but I do know coming out of it that it's going to be really good. So I can hold that space and I can allow that person to be uncomfortable. It's a lot harder in intimate relationships. And going back to the book of joy, that's something that Doug Abrams says. He's like, our most intimate relationships can be our most challenging. Absolutely. Whether it's one of my good friends or my husband or my raising my teenage daughters, like that can be really, really challenging for me versus, you know, other relationships in my life right? Because we are afraid that we won't belong. That's where that fearful, that painful feeling of shame comes in, where it threatens our place of belonging. And we want so desperately to connect with people. And here's the thing, there's nothing wrong with you for wanting to connect. We are hardwired for connection. I used to judge myself and beat myself up of like, oh, I'm just too needy. I want too much. No, we are meant to connect. And then the other side is I'm really embracing the fact that I'm actually an extrovert. I try to convince myself for a number of years I was an introvert, but I'm an extrovert. I get a lot of energy from people and I also need downtime for myself to fill myself up as well. But I really like connecting with people and I like connecting people on a deep level and also on a group. I just don't like to spend my time in places of gossip or things that aren't really valuable to me right? In places where we're judging other people, like that's not fun for me. So we are hardwired for connection. There's nothing wrong with wanting to connect. There's not something that's wrong with you. Here's the thing. It takes having courageous conversations. And I know you're probably like, seriously, Corinne, I don't want to have courageous conversations. I know that my number one value is bravery. And there's some often I'm like, oh, I just don't want to be brave. I want the white knight to come in and rescue me. I'm not joking. I will indulge in that story. And then I'll be like, no, I don't want anyone to be the boss of me. So there's that. Oh, that's the other thing Springsteen talks about. Like you're going to have two contradictory ideas in your head and you're going to hold them, right? You're the baddest ass in town and that you suck, that this is the most important thing. And it's really only rock and roll. Like we're going to have these contradictory ideas. You're not crazy. There's just these different voices. And then where do you have your focus be? 
So you want to connect. I do too. Let's give ourselves permission that we want to connect. We want to connect with people that we really enjoy being with. I don't know about you, but there was a time in my life I was like the collector of people that I didn't really enjoy being with. And I don't think they really enjoyed being with me, right? I want to talk about deep stuff. They want to talk about stuff that wasn't so deep. And we weren't connecting. Neither one was right or wrong. I'm not saying that. We weren't connecting, but we were there together. So we know that we're hardwired for connection. But here's the thing. The thing that gets in the way of that is that we don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to expose ourselves to emotional risk, right? Because vulnerability is uncertainty, emotional exposure, and risk. It feels a lot like fear. It's like, oh, hell no, that's bad. Don't go there, right? But my friend, and this is so important, vulnerability is the pathway to connection. And it could also end relationships knowing that. Okay. Cause that vulnerability is a pathway to connection. And somebody may say, I'm not interested. So you want connection. You have to be willing to be vulnerable. It's the oldest catch 22 and it's really painful. So the key is having courageous conversations, saying the one thing that you are most afraid to say to the person who are you most afraid to say it. I'm going to give you some examples. A courageous conversation is when you tell your wife you will miss her while she's traveling, especially vulnerable when you may believe that she's not going to miss you and you're going to miss her. It's not equal, right? So then we go, uh oh, scorecard keeping. It's not equal. I better not show her that I'm going to care more than she may. Because she may be like, yippee skippy, I'm out of here. I don't have to be responsible for anybody. It's not even about you. She's just so happy to not have to think about stuff or have to make dinner. That could be it. And so excited. And you're thinking you're going to be noticing the space that she leaves behind. A courageous conversation can be when your friend that is always canceling or showing up late and you have a conversation with her saying, this isn't working for me. You're always canceling. We set things up. I'm so excited. And then you cancel. Now, here's the thing. The happily ever after, she's like, oh my God, you're so right. I'm so wrong. I'm never going to do that again. And problem solving gets fixed and we live happily ever after. And it may be that she goes, well, this is the way it works for me. I'm a really busy person and this is the best that I can do. And then you have to decide, can you work within those parameters? Can you accept that? Or can you not? And this is the trick, my friend. It's not a trick, but this is the deal is if the friend is late or always canceling, don't make any assumptions that it's because there's something wrong with you. Oftentimes when we are late is because people are like, oh, I can get more done, right? They're trying to be productive, which is just a cloak word for being perfectionist. I can get more done. I And they don't allow themselves the space to have enjoyment because they may be saying, no, I can't do fun until I do this, right? It's that very beat myself up. So it could be that, or maybe they don't like doing this with you and that this is their passive aggressive way. Here's the beauty in that though, is that if you're willing to have this courageous conversation and they're not willing to change and they're not willing to say, you know what? I don't really like spending time with you. And that's why I'm canceling all the time. But then you can make a decision and say, okay, they're always canceling. Is this a relationship I want to be a part of? Or am I going to go look for another person to create this relationship? We sometimes get graspy and think this is the only person, but it's not. There's other people. There's always people that we can meet. Maybe we don't want to go through them, but who else can we meet that may be aligned with that? 
Sometimes it's just circumstantial. Maybe somebody is, you know, now that I'm getting older, it's more about taking care of, you know, older family members. When my kids were young, it was about like, I had to take care of them, right? So what are our obligations? What are our priorities? Where's our brain space? Where's our capacity? I can tell you this, when my enoughers were in town, I just turned my brain off and I gave myself permission that emails and everything went off. My focus was the enoughers. It was on taking care of me and connecting with my family a little bit around that because that's all the capacity I had because I was giving so much there and it was okay. And I got to the emails and I still have more emails to get to this week and that's all okay. So for me, I know when I go deep, I can't go wide and there's times that I can go wide and then I don't go as deep and I just pay attention. It's not black and white, but it's this continuum that I work with it. Another courageous conversation can be when you go to a colleague and whether it's you're giving feedback or you're asking for feedback, right? Those are both courageous conversations. And you can be afraid of when you give feedback, how are they going to receive it? And, or when you're asking for feedback, oh my gosh, I was thinking this was amazing and great and badassery. And they're, they're like, Corinne, this sucks. So, and then, you know, being uncomfortable, you have to be willing to be uncomfortable. And I understand because I don't like to be uncomfortable. I want it to be easy, but growth comes out of discomfort. It does. We don't have growth from comfort. It doesn't work that way. The comfort is great. We can rest, we can restore, and then we go back out and we grow because when we make the mistakes, we can learn from it. We don't beat ourselves up because we're cultivating a growth mindset. So those are different examples of courageous conversations. You can ask for, this is what I would like in this relationship. They may or may not be on board. They may be like, oh my gosh, I've been in love with you too. We've been playing this game. Or they may be like, "Hmm, this is actually my priority. Your job in that instance is not to make it about you. It's not that you're not good enough. It just may not be the right fit at this point. And that's okay. And what can you learn from that? Like letting that person go to go find somebody else to that is ready and willing to have this relationship. Instead, we tend to beat ourselves up and sulk and say, see, there's something wrong with me. I'm just not good enough. That's not allowed. And when you have these vulnerable conversations and you're willing to put yourself out there, the other side, the upside can be the connection that you want where you can have connection, where you can have belonging. But if you're not willing to be vulnerable, if you're not willing to be uncomfortable, you don't get to that point. One of the tools I use with my clients is this tool, this idea of an elevator. And remember I said, there was a time in my life, I was just the collector of whoever just wanted to come in the elevator just came in. It was like, oh, and I would notice our values were different, but they were there. And I was like, oh, well, I guess I have no choice in the matter. These are the people. And my elevator was really packed and, and these are the people. And there was a lot of drama and I allowed it and I didn't have boundaries and I was like desperate. So I wanted belonging. And so whoever was in there and as I did my own work and I evolved and I was raising, going up in my elevator, people got off. They're like, oh, she's honest. She says what she thinks you know, not in a mean manner, but she says what she thinks or, oh, you know, Corinne's willing to put herself out there. And I don't really like this. This is uncomfortable for me. And people got off and that gets really scary. And my clients go through this work where they're like, oh my gosh, people are off. Now there aren't necessarily, we're not starting like packed anymore, which thank goodness, but they start to get scared because what if I'm all by myself? And my question for you, my friend is what if you are all by yourself? Do you like you? I've had to deal with my own loneliness issues and saying, well, wait, wait a second. I get to be with me. 
when I was that little kid and I was pretending that I was the Charlie's Angels and I was Tiffany and, you know, I had my purse with my little toy gun. And I know that could be controversial now, but this is, you know, what the late seventies, right? And I had my little toy gun and I was pretending that I was going up and down elevators and, you know, shooting bad guys. I was by myself. I just did this play. I didn't think, oh, poor me. I'm all by myself. I thought, oh, this is a great way to entertain myself. And I get to have fun. I get to direct. I get to act, be who I want to be. And I had a great time. And then we lose that because of how we think friends are supposed to be a lot of the times from our culture. So for me, it could be the friends television show. It could be sex in the city. And I used to sit there and say, Oh, I want that group of girlfriends on Sunday morning where we go out to brunch. Well, when my kids were babies, the last place I wanted to be was away from them on a Sunday morning. And the last thing I want to be wearing was high heels. So I had to check in with that. So when you're on this elevator, you're checking in with like, okay, the people that are getting off, do I feel safe with them? Are they a vault for me? Do I know that they have my back? Are they loyal? And some of the people that were getting off on this elevator weren't, you know, they wanted to know some of my pain points to then go and broadcast it to other people. Right. And I'm not saying that they were mean or vindictive people because this is just what they did. And I realized, oh, they're not safe. Oh, you know, I feel judged when I'm with them. Okay. So I slowly went up on this elevator and at some point, yes, you become alone or it becomes less impacted. Sure. I had my husband and I had my kids and I had a few good friends, but there were times, many times I was by myself and getting comfortable with being with me was really critical. And then what happened is that people started to join my elevator and they were the right people. The people who, you know, I just sent a text message to a friend and I just thanked him. I was like, thank you so much that, you know, I know that I can count on you that you'll pick up the phone when he can. And when he can't, that's okay. And he'll call me back. Like to be able to have people like that in your life where you can have that kind of relationship, you know, where you can ask friends, you know, like I have a girlfriend, she's really good at like decor and stuff. And she helped me pick out my office floor, having people that are willing to do the not fun stuff, right. And also willing to have those deep conversations. And then, so now my elevator isn't jam packed. I know a lot of people, but who are the right people? And having that connection and having that belonging. And here's the ultimate thing, my friend, in order to have belonging with other people, you also have to have belonging within yourself. And so often we discount ourselves and we're like, no, the only time I'm worthy is if these people, I can belong with these people belong to you, have courageous conversations with you. So when I was feeling left out of, you know, friendship groups, I would have to say, so wait a second. Are these people that I want to go spend time with? Are these people that have earned the right to hear my story? Do I feel safe with them? And when I would say no, and even though they may as a group feel safe and that's fine, I didn't and that's okay. Neither of us are bad people. We're just not the right fit. It goes back to like when I talked about the puzzle a few weeks ago is they're just puzzle pieces. They're not the right fit. The beauty is if I can set them free and they set me free, I can go and create my own puzzle that does fit. So have courageous conversations so that you can be in relationships with people you want to be in instead of with people you don't, but you're too afraid to ask for what you want. Maybe they say, absolutely, I can always be on time or I'm going to really strive to being on time. And sometimes, you know, I'm imperfect and I'll be late. Or maybe they'll say, you know, I just can't schedule and I'm just too busy. And then you make a decision. Who do you want to surround your life with? And that you get to decide. So courageous conversations doesn't mean you get to have an agreement, 
right? And then it's all going to wind up perfectly. It's not the magic wand, like, and then bippity boppity boo. It's, I'm going to have this conversation. It's going to be uncomfortable. And then are we going to, how are we going to come out the other side? And for you, it's not about defining you. So I invite you, you want connection. You want belonging. The pathway, my friend is through vulnerability, being vulnerable, asking for what you want, allowing the other person to have their opinion and what they're willing to do. And then for the two of you to see, are you a right fit or in work asking for the opinion of a colleague, but also knowing what is your opinion? And being willing to disagree, like my being willing to disagree from, you know, the author of the book of joy about some stuff. It was like, wow, that's a huge Amy, even though that they're the experts, there's some aspects of it I disagree with and that's okay. They're not wrong and I'm not wrong. It's, there's a disagreement in this aspect. And here's something that's really important. Doug Abrams talked about this in the book. He talked about how the Dalai Lama had written a book about happiness. I think it was like the art of happiness. And then with this book of joy, one of the things that they distinguished between happiness and joy was happiness was really about external things. You know, what do we achieve? What do we buy? These external accomplishments where joy comes from within and joy is a choice. And so here's the Dalai Lama at some point in his life, he writes a book about happiness. And now he's like, you know, actually, I think I was writing a book about joy. We call that happiness. So as you go through your own evolution, you're going to adjust and tweak. It doesn't mean that you're full of crap before. It's just that your understanding may be different. So I give you that as we end of, as you go out and have courageous conversations and you're willing to be vulnerable and it's going to be messy, it really is. But love yourself, belong to yourself, be your best friend, be the leader of your life, and you will create connections that really fulfill you. And in five years, some of those connections may change because you may have a different growth. You may have a different perspective. And it doesn't mean the past was wrong. It's just that this is where you are now. You're higher up in your elevator. Thank you so much for listening, my friend. So what's next for you is I have this favorite saying of mine, small hinges can move big doors. And what small hinge will you make today in your courageous conversations? A small hinge can be going to a trusted mentor and saying, can you explain to me what information I need to have? Or what are the negotiation do's and don'ts? That can be small. That can be huge. It could be asking a friend to a coffee. And as you have all, I was talking to a client today and I said, cause she was like, I, I need to stay in my own business. And it was so interesting because six years ago, what being in her business was, was much more black and white than today, because she has the agility to see so much more right about it. So this courageous conversation may be more black and white. And then what will happen is things that you weren't able to talk about today in a year, it may become easier because you've been practicing having courageous conversations. You've been practicing being vulnerable. There's certain areas of my life. I can be so easily vulnerable. And there's certain areas of my life. I'm like, Oh God, I really want that white knight to come and rescue me. And then I practice it. I do it. And then slowly the white knight's now moving into a different arena. And remember, I never really want the white knight to come rescue me because I don't want anyone to be the boss of me. I'm the leader of my life. But in those moments when I can feel helpless, that's what like my go-to is. Again, Bruce Springsteen, having two competing thoughts in your head at the same time and holding them. I know that they're there and I'm aware of them. And then I make a choice as the leader of my life, which direction am I going to focus in? Sometimes I indulge for a little bit, but then I go, okay, but which direction am I going to focus in? And I take action from that. 
So for you, as we end today, what small hinge will you make today in your courageous conversation? And it could be asking your spouse to close the curtains. I'm not joking. That my friend is a courageous conversation. Always say yay you to yourself, even when it's messy in a shit store, because it will be. That my dear is the truth about how we evolve to our next version of ourselves. My friend, you know that your voice matters. It matters to me. And so we're going to do two things here. We're going to one practice on your voice mattering and you owning your voice. And the other is preserving your brain juice. So the first thing I want you to go do is share your voice, leave a review of the show on iTunes. Tell me what you love. Tell me why you're here. Your voice matters. And the second thing, if you haven't done it already, preserve your brain juice by making sure you hit the subscribe button and you're subscribed to the show. I'm smiling big for you. I can't wait to give you a shout out on the show in the future. Until next time. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wide awake.